Welcome to A Seat at the Table, where hosts Annie Zunsa and Sasha Shpilsky share the stories of inspiring women in science and technology. Each episode, they'll delve into the triumphs and challenges that have shaped the lives of these exceptional individuals, sharing profound insights and knowledge along the way. From breaking into quantum computing to revolutionary advancements in battery technology, this podcast is sure to expand your beliefs of what's possible and inspire you to pursue your own dreams. So join Annie and Sasha as they seek to understand what it takes to work in these STEM fields. Prepare to have your beliefs expanded and your aspirations reignited as they explore the limits of what's possible. Get ready to transcend limitations and embrace the infinite possibilities that lie ahead as they uncover the extraordinary stories waiting to be told, inviting you to join them as they push the boundaries of what's possible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to or back to A Seat at the Table for our ninth episode. We are absolutely ecstatic to be sitting down today with Mia Rath, the CTO and co-founder of Lumint, an energy storage startup based in the heart of San Francisco. They are currently in their seed stage, and they're using hydrogen to balance out the intermittency of renewables to empower the clean energy transition. Before that, Mia studied material science and aerospace engineering at Georgia Tech, and had some interesting internships along the way. We are so excited to chat with someone both in the deep tech, but also in the realities of creating a startup right in San Francisco. So Mia, we are absolutely thrilled to have you here and feel free to add anything to that and show. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. So honored that you guys asked me. Um, super excited to just uh, take a deep dive into whatever you guys like. Awesome. So Let's take it from the start. I'm really curious to hear about the beginning of your journey. So you went to Georgia Tech for aerospace engineering and then material science engineering, which is really cool and really interesting in topics that both Sasha and I are interested in. Um, but I was kind of curious to learn more about how like, you realized maybe that you wanted to do something like that. And how your path was to to doing that? Like, did you always know that you wanted some sort of engineering or that specific kind? That's a great question. Um, I, I think I always knew I liked engineering. I, I think as a kid, like I was really, I, I have engineers in the family and I was always like so curious to be like, what do you do? Like, let me see what it is that you do. I, I want to get my hands in there. So kind of going into college, I always knew that I wanted engineering. And um, at the time, I think the biggest like challenge that I could have done for myself was aerospace engineering. So, so I chose aerospace engineering and I, I had a lot of fun with it. And it was um, a great school and I, and I learned a lot. And that was kind of where it confirmed for me that I was like, okay, yeah, I'm a hard tech girl. Like I love building things. I'm very interested in engineering. And then in college, I had a co-op or it's like an extended internship um, with Rolls-Royce and I was working on their jet engines um, and that was really, really cool. And I had a lot of fun there. And um, one of my rotations, I was actually working on um, a material called ceramic matrix composites. And I saw kind of from the ground that all these innovations were coming from the smaller side, like materials wise. It was no longer like new jet 
kind of architectures or anything like that. It was it was really pushing the limits on the material side. And um, materials is like one of those things where it's like it's in every industry. Like <clears throat> you see all these innovations in, in, in the chip industry in aerospace, and, and it's all coming from from materials. And I was like, OK, I got to get my hands dirty into materials because it's like that's where the innovation is. So I actually I went back to school um, originally for a Ph.D., um, in materials. And, uh, I was not a fan of the PhD program. I, I was always someone that loved to build things that loved to, you know, get my hands in there. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm just writing papers all the time. I'm just like going to a conference. Like this is not what I wanted. And, and so I, I kind of made the decision to rather than pursue my PhD, I instead just got my master's degree. Um, and I'm so happy I made that decision. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> part of it was like, okay, I, I really want to build something. Like I, I've seen the other side of the spectrum and it's writing papers and it's not, it's something that I'm definitely not interested in doing. Um, and I don't think I ever came into it being like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start my own company, but I met my co-founder in, in grad school and we really kind of aligned with the fact that like, we were so disillusioned with academia and we were like, we want to get out there and we want to build something and we want to take ownership of it. And we have this great background and this great skill set. And that's something that we can really benefit from. And we're young and we have all this time and all this energy and all this this drive to actually make an impact. And so entrepreneurship was something that I kind of stumbled into. Um, and, and I remember I was looking for jobs and it was on the job search and I was like reading all the job descriptions and I was like, this is cool, but this is kind of boring. I'm going to be working on like a, a component of a subsystem of subsystem. I'm not going to have ownership over this or feel like, you know, like I'm, I'm contributing in a meaningful way, meaningful way. Um, and so Bruno and I just, we sat down and we we're like, let's just do something crazy. Like, let's just try and start this company. And, um, that was literally the story of, of how we came to be. And we, we got into this like very small scale accelerator um, at Georgia Tech called CreateX. And that's kind of, you know, how we kind of refined the idea of Lument and, and got to understand how we work together as co-founders as well. Wow, that is such an amazing like start to the story. I definitely want to dive deeper into almost everything that you said. But first, <laughs> I want to ask about um, your internship. So like Rolls-Royce, that sounds pretty crazy. So I want to know, like, what did you do on like a typical day? And then also, how did you go about getting that internship? Like, was it just like through your school? Or I suppose it was like a co-op type thing. So I'd love to hear how you like went about getting that. Yeah, I think um, I think I, I just like applied. I did like the classic classic college student thing where you just like mass send your resume out and, and see what bites. Um, <clears throat> And I had a couple, uh, I had a couple um, other offers from other companies. But one thing I liked about Rolls Royce was like it was a rotational program. So one rotation, I was working on very high level like jet performance. I was looking at things like thrust, you know, very high level me metrics <clears throat> on their commercial airplanes. And then the next rotation was in a, in the R and D, and and that was the materials role. And so a typical day for that was I was I was what they call the materials test engineer. And what I did on a day-to-day -day basis was I, I broke samples. I got to literally take a sample, put it into the machine, break it, and then see, analyze how it broke, 
Um, and then I got to, you know, put it through the microscope. I got to analyze, you know, failures and, and things like that. So it was actually a super, super fun job, I, you know, designing the tests, designing the test fixtures, and then actually breaking it. So it, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> that sounds really cool. Like getting to break stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's part yeah, of yeah. internship. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit curious to hear um about your kind of take on innovation generally like that was something that you mentioned that your your co-founder and yourself you you are really on the same line, line about being kind of bored I don't know if that's the correct way to say about <laughs> academia um, and then you decided to take this whole, whole turn with Lumend um, but how exactly did you go about starting it like the whole idea and like because you're doing something really innovative so just curious mm -hmm. to hear more about that exact process yeah so the the story of lumen like who we are today as a renewable energy storage company is not how we started um lumen actually stands for lunar manufacturing and industrial technologies like originally we were an in-space 3d printing company um and and that's that that was a, a vision that that bruno and i saw for the future was like you know we're sending all these things out in space And it makes sense to build things in space. And we have no no means of doing that in an efficient or an, in a way that actually makes sense. And additive manufacturing is very powerful. And it, it touches on our background with material science and uh, just general engineering. And so that's that's kind of where we went down. Um, but that being said, I think we we came to the realization that like no one's really building stuff in space, right? So uh, rather than focusing on on the platform to make that happen. We were, we were looking again in our materials um, and um, again, touching back on the fact that I've seen firsthand that innovation in all, so many industries is coming from the materials. I mean, you, you see it in Apple, you see it in Nvidia, you see it in Rolls Royce. And so we were looking at all these materials and, and that we were able to print. And one of these class of materials was called high entropy alloys, which If you guys want to nerd out, um, look into... 1,000%. You want to tell us about them? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, they, they're a new way of essentially making uh, metal alloys. So if, if you're familiar with like a metal alloy, it's essentially one base material. And then you sprinkle in a couple other things. And then you make the alloy. Whereas high entropy alloys, you take five or more metal alloys and near equiatomic ratios and you're able to mix them together to form one single metal. Um, and it's it's um, it's kind of a niche thing, but it's very cool. You can make metals that like run hotter than Inconel, for example, or colder than standard stainless steels. And so there's, there's a lot of potential there. And, and one of the, the materials that uh, we were looking at was really good at storing hydrogen um, in the solid state. Um, and um, we realized that, you know, in storing hydrogen in this kind of metal lattice, you no longer need a compressor and you know, or you no longer need a liquefier because um, traditionally hydrogen is stored at like 700 bar um, or near zero, right? And if you do the cost analysis there, that those are the most expensive parts of, of hydrogen is, you know, getting it into a stage where it's able to store, you're able to store it kind of effectively. I think um, you lose a lot of energy just in compressing it. And then there's a lot of, um, you know, operation and maintenance costs with those giant machines. And so we realized like, 
okay, like you can just pair this with an electrolyzer and you can pair this with a fuel cell and then you just have like a full power to power system, right? Um, and so that's kind of how we went down that path. And I think the more we kind of explored that, the more we talked to, to people familiar with hydrogen, the more we realized we, we really had an opportunity here to kind of innovate um, hydrogen and also explore how it's used in kind of today's context. Ooh, that is so, so, so interesting. I really love how like, it was all about materials because I love material science as well. So that's crazy to see. But um, I'm actually really curious about like the process of finding a co-founder because you mentioned that you met Bruno in your master's program, right? So that makes me think that both of you guys were like fairly technical. And I know like the standard, like um, like what's it called? The startup duo, like co-founder team is like one like business person and one like tech person. But obviously like you guys didn't necessarily have like a, that clear cut. But I'm wondering like, what do you think like, makes you guys such a good team and like what would you recommend someone maybe look for in a co-founder if they're thinking about starting their own company yeah no that's a really great question and i i think bruno and i actually have talked about this um i think finding the right co-founder is so so important um because you know you hear the trope that like you guys are married and it's true it's really it really is true um you are married to your co-founder in a way um but I think kind of touching on like your classic business slash technical, I, I I would say of the two of us, I definitely lean more technical, but Bruno had actually started his own um, web three consulting, consulting um, um, kind of startup back in 2017. He was working on NFTs, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with the timeline, but he was working on NFTs way before NFTs were a thing. And so when they kind of came to fruition, his startup kind of, you know, had a lot of success there. And so he had seen that side um, of the startup world, but he wanted to come back to his roots, which were, which were hard tech. Um, but just, just on a personal level, I think Bruno and I have always been good friends. Like, I think part of the reason we bonded was not just, you know, shared values and how we see innovation and, and the things that we want to challenge ourselves with, but we also like just like the same music and we could talk about we I find it I found it easy to talk to him about everything. And on top of that, I think we our conflict resolution styles are are very uh, compatible. And that's something that you figure out with your co-founder as well, because, you know, issues will issues will come up. But I think we do balance each other out very well. He's I think he's you know, he's very energetic, he's very personable, happy, happy go lucky. And I'm I, I like the details. I like. I, you know, like I, I get into the the nitty gritty and I, I'm like, all right, let's let's get it done. But he's able to really, you know, convey that to a larger image. And, and I, I'm able to kind of fill the gaps there and, and figure out how, how we get there. Loved the analogy about being married to your co-founder. I think it's a, it's a really interesting way to, to go about like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned before that you guys have made your first hire as well, right? Yes, um, we we have our first hire. He came on uh, four four or five months ago. Um, we actually just had we just actually uh, brought on another engineer. She'll start in uh, January, and we're hiring two more right now. Um, so yeah, awesome. I I'd love to hear more about maybe the the process behind that. So first of all, like what led you to hiring um, another engineer, and then um, kind of how did you go about the whole process, like maybe interviewing and then with the other two people that are coming on board as well? Like, how did that look like? Yeah, I think 
I think we knew it was time to hire when we realized startups are are so much of it is like, how fast can you move? Right. And we realized, I think we needed to hire when we, we, because we get pulled to, to things like, you know, talking to investors, customer discovery, blah, blah, blah. And, and we weren't progressing on the, the technical side with our prototypes at the pace that we wanted. And I think we had the resource to bring an engineer on and, and it, it was a no brainer. And it was the right call too, because as, as soon as we brought him on, I think the, the progress that we've been able to make is, is largely due to the fact that we've had people constantly working on, uh, on, uh, on the technology all the time. And I think that's something that's super important is like, you can get lost in the business, blah, blah, blah. But what's, what's important is the product. Um, and getting it to to market. And so just anything that you can do to to accelerate that, we realized was super important. Um, and then in terms of hiring, um, a lot of people pull from their personal networks, and that was something that that we were looking at too, but we decided to also just kind of, well, I mean, we, li- we live in the Bay, and so there's a huge amount of talent. So we're like, all right, let's just put out a job offering and see what bites. And um, what we were looking for it's kind of weird to think that like culture fit. Cause at the time it was like just Bruno and I, like what, what culture is there? <laughs> we didn't really think of it in that sense, but I think that, that really came to fruition when we were interviewing people and just talking about how they view um, technology, um, their, their career goals, you know, what draws them to a startup versus a larger company. Um, and you kind of are able to gauge the, the, that out, right? Like you don't, you don't, you don't want someone that's just like, uh, I'm, I'm here, just you know, like, like I, I want a nine to five, and like a, you want someone that's involved and wants to see it, every aspect of it. And there are people that that are that are out there that are very interested in that. Um, but when it came to our first hire, I think it was like within the first ten minutes of speaking to him, I was like, oh, he gets it. I was like, he gets it. And he had actually uh, uh, done a startup or, or tried to do a startup himself. And I think that was largely why we resonated so so well with each other. But it was in the first 10 minutes. I was like, I, I remember I texted Bruno. I was like, I found him. I found our first engineer. That, that, that's like the perfect first hire. Um, and so it was a combination of uh, he had the right background in terms of technical ability. But at the same time, he understood the, that startups are a world where you have to stay flexible, um, where things will change and you have to be able to navigate that. You have to have a a sense of autonomy. Um, And I think he just, he really understood that and that that was critical for a first hire. Um, You know, just immediately, as soon as they come on, it's like, it's a value add. Um, And and I think, yeah, first 10 minutes of speaking to, to, his name is Amir. I was like that, that's it. And it was the right call. That's super interesting here. And I think like two of the things you mentioned there. So like managing like the smaller things versus the bigger things, because the sad reality is like you have to do those small things, like answering emails as annoying as they are. So I think like having a person like specifically dedicated to the tech was like a very good call. And I'm very happy that you guys managed to find him here because I remember when I met him, he seemed super awesome for you guys as well. Um, But I'm actually quite curious. So you mentioned that like yours and Bruno's conflict resolution strategy was pretty similar or it like worked well together so I kind of want to like expose people to what it actually takes to start a startup so could you tell us like what's what's the biggest challenge that you guys have like faced and then how did you overcome it slash like what did you learn from it yeah uh wow there's so many challenges to start up I think um 
I, I can speak very specific to our experience. I think oftentimes uh, a deep tech startup spins out of a lab or it spins out of graduate research or it spins out of a company, uh, another company or something like that, right? Like we didn't have that. We literally started with nothing but an idea. We had no one to really back us. Um, we had no prototypes. We had we had nothing. Um, and I think a huge challenge was number one, getting ways like figuring out how to interface with with people that could actually help us in this journey. Um, and then like we have no money. We have a garage. How do we actually prove out our idea past the idea stage, right? Um, so, so that was a huge problem, and it it was it w- it was very difficult in the beginning to get the ball moving for that sense because we because we didn't have the the intellectual property or or, or an existing prototype or anything like that. We had um, like literally, it was just Bruno and I in a garage in the middle of California, being like. I have this idea and every time I test this idea, it, it doesn't fall through and there's no cracks here. And I, so I have conviction in this idea and how do I meet the people that can help us and how do I convince them and, and, and portray the vision to them and, and, and that. And so I think it was kind of a snowball effect where when you meet one person and they'll introduce you to another and then blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's how we met, you know, 15, 17 as well. Um, but a lot of it is like, okay, how do you start with absolutely nothing and, and get somewhere, right? And it, it it takes a lot of grit. It does take a lot of grit because um, at any point we could have just stopped doing this. We could have gotten nice cushy tech jobs. We could have lived a nice life instead of being miserable in a garage and whatever. And and it takes an emotional toll. It takes a it takes a a, a toll in that sense. Um, so it was a lot of a lot of that was like we we leaned on each other a lot for that support and you know, to be like, we can't give up on this because like, this is a great idea. And I really, really believe in this idea. Um, so I, I would say that that was one of the biggest challenges, very specific to us is we we really had nothing coming into this. So definitely from, from what I'm hearing, it's, it's really difficult to, to take the idea from paper to actually reality. Um, and I want to ask, I think maybe it's more um, like, something that you you see as a given now that like sticking with a startup but I'd like to hear more about the why like why continue being in that uncertainty and actually having the drive to move forward and uh, depending on Bruno and Bruno depending on you like what was the the driving power and you actually going through those uncertainties and believing like seeing the vision and believing that you could actually get that idea get it working move like move the needle um that that's great what it took was like I think and I did this a lot was when we landed on this idea of solid state hydrogen storage to store renewables it it was I you can do a lot of techno economic analysis there with little to no money right you can just pull numbers online and I, I would crunch the numbers and I'd be like, okay, the, the numbers make sense and the the, the material science makes sense. Um, and every time I tried to pressure test this idea, you know, I would be like, okay, but like, what if X, Y, Z? And I'd be like, okay, but then it still works. It, like, you know, even, even given terrible circumstances, like I'm going to put it through the, the, the test that just as an idea, try to poke holes in it. And it was, in my mind, it was, it was ironclad. It still made sense. 
And what pushed me to do it is, I mean, I would look at all these, I, I would look at the energy landscape and I would say, okay, look, we, we absolutely can't continue to run on carbon-based uh, uh, energy sources forever. We have this huge boom in renewables. Um, and if you look at it, we're pretty good at renewable energy production. Like that's not the issue. We're pretty good at solar panels. We're pretty good at generating energy off wind. And you see this mass deployment, you see it in California, you see it in Texas, you see it in the Southwest Power Pool. Um, and the issue no longer is, is the, the production side of energy, I feel like. It, even if you run the numbers, the cheapest energy is now renewables. It's how do you deal with the intermittency of renewables? Like the, the truth of the matter is, is that some days the clouds are in the sky and the sun's not going to shine. How do, we, how do we keep making sure that, that we're on, uh, on green energy? And the answer there was energy storage. And when it comes to large scale energy storage, I, I, I looked at the technologies that were out there and that kind of what's used today. And I think given my technical background, I see the issues with it. I, I see their limitations and energy is not a one size fit all solution. I, I think certain technologies are, are really great at some scales, but not great at others. And um, I, I thought to myself like, if I can even make a dent in this issue, right? Even just a little bit, that's 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 huge. You know, even if I can provide one megawatt hour of energy, that's a huge, a huge, um, uh, you know, impact that I could have. Um, and that that's why I wanted to get out of uh, academia was I wanted to have impact. I didn't want to be stuck in an office. I, I didn't want to be writing papers. I actually wanted to get out there, build something that would be impactful and where I could say like, hey, look, I built something and it's, you know, it's doing something that I, I think is an important issue to solve, which is like, how do we transition our grid to a, to a renewable one? And so it was just believing in, in that and the, and the drive to just want to help change that in any way that I could was, was something that I, I, I stuck to my guns with and, and no one could take it away from me. I really love what you said about like getting it into the world and making it an impact. And yeah, I think like, it's really impressive that you guys got an idea that you like couldn't like find a way where it failed. Because I know like what usually happens with people is they like get an idea and they're like, oh no, it, it like it works. Even though there's like some very glaringly obvious flaw that they cannot see. But um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, so like for somebody who might not be too familiar with the energy space, like you mentioned how you could see the problems with like the current energy space and not like the carbon. But I'm curious as to like, why hydrogen specifically? Because like, we know that there are other energy storage methods. So like what excited you guys particularly about hydrogen? Yeah, I think hydrogen, well, number one, it's like the most abundant um, atom in the, in the universe. Uh, it's atom number one. Um, and so there's a lot of it. Um, and on top of that, it's, it's a really great energy carrier. It's a, it's really, really stable. So if you can find a way to just hold on to that hydrogen, it's not going anywhere. Um, I think there are other, other technologies like, like lithium you're, you're kind of subjected to just by the, their chemistry kind of self-discharge rates. So they're going to lose capacity over time. They're going to be very sensitive to how fast you charge them, discharge them, state of charge. Um, and then you're going to lose capacity, which which is totally fine. That's like, you know, if it's for your iPhone, right? Like, that's totally great. I think the form factors are, are fantastic for the small scale. Like, if you think about your iPhone or, or your smartphone, 
um, your battery kind of poops out after two years, two, three years. Right. And that's totally fine at, at that scale, but, you know, blow that, that whole problem up like 10,000 times and, and put it on the grid. And that's going to be very costly. Um, and even when we've spoken to grid operators, um, I think they also realize that. And, and so they use lithium for a very specific grid service, but they are definitely aware that it's not a one size fit all solution. So I'm not sure if this is like just because of like it's compressed hydrogen, but something I hear a lot is like hydrogen is flammable. So I know like lithium is also flammable, but like is the reason that hydrogen is flammable and like somewhat like dangerous just because it's like stored under that high pressure? Yeah. So hydrogen just as a, as a gas is is flammable in the same way oxygen is. Um, and then if you uh, deal with high pressures, right, that's uh, you're you're a kind of asking for an explosion there. Um which is, you know, there's there's ways to mitigate that. But one thing with solid state storage is we actually the way we we store hydrogen is is through a chemical reaction where we take it from the gaseous phase and then we bond it to the metal where it's no longer in a gaseous phase. And so it's no longer flammable. And so a lot of the flammability issues, a lot of the um, the dangers there with traditional hydrogen, we don't really deal with because it's actually bonded to the metal and it's within the metal lattice. So we've converted it from the gaseous phase to the solid phase. And that's that's kind of how we store it. So it's yeah, we don't deal with the same issues as we as we would with like pure hydrogen. Wow. OK, that just makes like that just makes me even more excited about where this with like limit is going to go because like that is insane to think about that like every single limitation with hydrogen you guys are just like that's not even a problem for us we're we're like completely way above that so I love to see that um what I'm curious about though is like being have worked on this and like being and working on something like that has this much impact like what is your favorite memory from it like uh, even if you want to get on like a more personal level but like what has been like your favorite part of it so far oh my god I have so many favorite parts um I have two that are like moments where I've taken a step back and been like whoa <laughs> and I think the the first of it was when um it was when we got our first office the one that you saw Sasha the one that we first moved in there um because we had been working in this garage for so long and I was so sick of it and it had no heat no air. It was freezing in the winter, super hot during the atmospheric rivers in, um, in California, we were, it was flooding. Like we were literally bailing water out of this garage between meetings. Like we were, it was literally crazy. Um, and, uh, I think I had like a, a very humbling moment where we got, we, we had our, our first little, uh, round of investment. And with that, we got our, we got a dedicated space. And it really felt like, oh, my God, like I have a company like it's it's like I've graduated from the garage and like I'm in this actually dedicated space where I have the space to actually build these prototypes and and, and do and do all those things. And so I remember when we got the keys with our landlord, I was like so excited. I like opened the door and I was like, yes, like we got our first office like this is so sick. Um, so that's I think that's one of my favorite memories. Um, I think another favorite memory was we were, this was like during our very, very first round of um, uh, of, of, of investment, but I got COVID <laughs> during that time. And so Bruno had to do a lot of this pitching alone because I, I was like just dead completely. And um, 
uh, I was like feeling like terrible and I get a call from Bruno. And so I pick it up and he, he was just like, oh, we got our first check in. <laughs> and I just was like fever, feeling terrible, had COVID. I was like, it's like, this is so exciting. <laughs> so that, that was like another fun little memory of Lumint. It was, our, it was literally our very first like check of investment. Hearing you talk about all those memories with so much excitement makes me excited as well. I can imagine you like in all those scenarios. So that's really cool. And I'm so happy to hear about your new office and can't wait uh, like for an even like bigger space or like whatever yeah. you guys have in mind next. Me neither. Super, super excited. But I will say like having this, having a startup, like every day is like, it's like honestly so exciting because I feel like We were in a garage seven months ago, just to give you a t like time scale. Seven months ago, we were still in the garage. And now we've gotten, we had one office and then we outgrew it. And now we have a new office and now we're expanding the team. And it's like, like, if you had told me that seven months ago, I'd be like, all right, get out of here. You know, like, <laughs> all right, whatever. But things have moved so fast. And so it's, it really is so exciting and, and so rewarding and so humbling just to, Just to see kind of like, all right, if you stick to your guns, if you really believe in in the idea, you believe in yourself and you put in the hard work, you know, you can really make things happen. I'm curious on that note to to hear your take on on goal setting in a sense of like you would never know how mm -hmm. fast and how um like how quickly basically you would scale up. So I guess like what is your take in setting attainable or like unattainable goals especially in the startup ecosystem like how may that look like um for you or like should you do that shouldn't you do that how should one approach the the whole goal setting thing yeah I think if we want to start I, I think the way that I think about it is like start really really big and like form the vision of the company like what is the vision of the company um like if if all things go right what will you guys be able to achieve Right. And so our vision is providing everyone with green energy 24-7. That that's the biggest goal of ours. That's that's our vision of the company. That's kind of our 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 whole our whole mission statement. Um, and then you break it down to like, okay, how do we actually get there? Um I I do think it's important to set goals for yourself. Um it it helps you stick to kind of what you're working towards, what you're working on, hold yourself accountable. Um, but I, I think you do have to set them on different timescales, you know, like what can you achieve this year? Um, what can you achieve in two years? And also be open to knowing that those goals may change given new information, given new, you know, resource, given new capabilities, whatever, like those goals are not static, but I think that the biggest goal is static is, is like, I, I want to, provide everyone with green energy 24-7. That's not changing. That's the whole mission of the company. But like, okay, this quarter, I, I you know, I want to do this. And so I think we, we, we break it down by like, I think we have quarterly goals and then we have monthly goals um, or, or sorry, yearly goals rather. Um, and I, I think it's important to, to not lose sight of them because it's so easy to just like, you know, no, no one's my, my, my quote unquote boss, right? Like I have to hold myself accountable to this. I have to make sure that we're on track to meeting deadlines. 
Um, and if we're not meeting deadlines, I have to figure out why, because that could be a larger issue and, and whatever. But I think it is important to set goals for yourself, achievable goals too, because you can't set something that's like totally nuts. And then you'll be like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't make it. And so now I feel bad about myself and like, you know, I feel bad about the company and I don't believe in it and like whatever. Um, so I think, I think on the, the goal setting thing, you have to set small goals that are attainable and maybe they're not going to be the most easiest to do, but they're realistic. And you know that if you, if you push it, you can do it. Um, but also be open to, okay, maybe this goal that I set a year ago no longer makes sense in the context of this company. So let me redefine what what we're working towards. I love that. And I think like one of the biggest unlocks I have has been like knowing that your goals can change because like sometimes we're like hesitant to set something and be like, oh, this is set in stone. Like what if I change my mind? But like just knowing that like you can have them evolve over time is like really important. Um, So like kind of on that note, I want to know what we're like, kind of the biggest like mindsets or like mental frameworks for thinking about things you've picked up from like working in like a startup, like fast moving, like a very heavily like innovative place because like, yeah, I don't know. I think it should be really interesting to hear like, what have you learned from like that period of just like moving so fast and having things change so rapidly? Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is that, oh my God, <laughs> there's so much. Let me, let me think about this. Um, I, I think one of the big things that I've learned is that like, you can't lose sight of the technology at the end of the day. Like, I, I think you touched on it earlier, like you can get lost in like the emails and talking to customers and like whatever, and you can get, you know, caught up talking to to, to different stakeholders. Um, but it's all dependent on the technology. And so you you can't let that take the backseat. Everything that you're doing is to allow this technology to come to fruition and you can't lose track of that. And I think that's something that's very um, that's very emphasized in the startup world as compared to like big industry is like we what, like you have to make sure that every single day you're doing something to help the technology in in whatever aspect it is, whether it's actually technical work, whether it's actually talking to somebody who's going to be a first adopter. It's it all comes back down to the product, and um, yeah, you you can't lose sight of that because that's that's the star of the show here. You're just kind of a vessel for this technology to come to market. On the note of the technology. Um... I would love to hear more about your view on where exactly the specific technology is going, like maybe in five or 10 years, where do you see it being like hydrogen and the the widespread usage of it? And then maybe what are some challenges and actually like it reaching its full potential? Yeah, great question. Um, I think right now you're seeing like this huge hydrogen wave, like Everyone's talking about hydrogen. Everyone's talking about um, hydrogen production, hydrogen as a fuel. Um, and I do think hydrogen has this huge potential to be um, this great, you know, fuel in, in a sense like this, this thing, because it's it's so diverse. You could use it as, uh, you know, you could use it as like a replacement to natural gas. You can use it as an energy source. And so it's very flexible in that way. And it's and and we have so many innovations now that make it green. And so. 
I do think, you know, in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see um, hydrogen really uh, be kind of used in, in a, a more mass adopted, essentially, because you can use hydrogen as like a precursor to, you know, chemical factories. You can use hydrogen as an as a as a fuel. Um, and so I, I, I'm very excited to see all, the, all this huge investment and this huge push on the technology side to to using hydrogen. Um, but again, I think one of the huge issues with hydrogen is, is storing it. And I think dependent on the use case, you're going to have to figure out different ways of storing it. And our use case is energy storage. And so our medium is, is solid state. But, you know, does that make sense for a car if you're using it for an electric vehicle, a fuel cell vehicle? Um, does that make sense if you're using it for, um, uh, you know, chemical factories or anything like that? I think the transportation of hydrogen and production, whether it's going to be uh, uh, kind of tra transported across the United States or across the, the globe, you know, that's all going to come back down to hydrogen storage. Like, how do we store this? and then actually able to move it, or rather, do we want to make it on site? And so I think that's going to be something that people are going to be figuring out what the best way to, to deal with that is. And I think it's going to be very dependent on industry as well. Definitely. I was looking into hydrogen like a couple months ago, and like that was like the biggest thing. It's like, how do we yeah. store it? Because these molecules are so small that like nothing can hold on to it. Right? Yes. So um, that's definitely amazing that you guys are solving that, because that's like a huge gap. So it's like the perfect place for your startup to be sitting right now. But I'm actually a little bit curious as to like how hydrogen is actually produced, because I could be wrong about this, but I feel like there was like something about like it being hard to produce or like hard to get or something like that. So I'd be curious to hear like the process. Yeah. So there's a ton of different ways um, to, to make hydrogen. Uh, we we use something that's called electrolysis. So what we use is essentially we take water and then we split it into hydrogen gas and oxygen. And we, we off-gas the, the oxygen um, and we, we take the hydrogen. And that's, that's a very common way of making, um, uh, of making hydrogen. Um, and one that you've seen a lot of um, actually huge, huge steps and improvements in being able to up those efficiencies with, with great companies like electric hydrogen, for example. Um, Another way of making hydrogen is um, steam methane reformation, um, which is which is an, which is another thing. It's it's very commonly used in steel industry. Um, another way of making hydrogen is um, essentially you're breaking uh, ammonia in, into its like uh, kind of base hydrocarbons, and then you're taking the hydrogen um, off of that. And so again, like I said, hydrogen likes to bond to like most a lot of carbons and so it's very abundant and so people just are essentially finding ways to crack hydrogen off of its core carbon atom and then store that and so that's th those are like the main ways of making hydrogen but i think the one that's really come to, to light in in today's um environment has been electrolysis that's really interesting and like something i've heard before so i actually saw this video on like um like hydrogen powered cars right and the problem like they're like oh my gosh so amazing like look at how amazing this is and then the biggest thing was just like they're too expensive so i'm wondering if like the reason hydrogen is too expensive is because like the storage method it was like previously really trash or if it's more so in like the production itself yeah great great question um 
<laughs> Great question. Um, I, I, I could follow up with this with a, with an interesting NREL paper, but they, okay. <laughs> ran, they, 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 um, they ran kind of the cost of like a hydrogen refueling station. Um, and just to give you some context, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, they run off of 700 bar hydrogen tanks. So if you see like a Toyota Mirai, which is like the the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, they actually have like a, a giant 700 atmosphere hydrogen tank sitting right underneath the passengers. And that's how hydrogen is stored there. Um, but for hydrogen refueling stations, you're seeing the biggest cost again um, from the compressor um, to actually compress that hydrogen from whatever state they get it in to 700 to where you can refuel the the vehicle. So that's storage is, is traditionally extremely expensive be, because these multi-unit, multi-stage compressors are like these giant systems that, you know, require a lot of energy, require a lot of operation and maintenance costs. Um, and then on top of that, I think um, fuel cells, I, I think there's there's been a lot of uh, research and development into fuel cells themselves, but they traditionally have not been as efficient as uh, electrolyzers in converting hydrogen back to energy. And I think I think you're see, starting to see that change. So I think it's a combination of the storage and then also the the transition again from hydrogen back to electricity hasn't been on par and able to compete with lithium in that in that same way. On the note of uh, R&D and especially the development part, I wanted to ask um, how exactly you went about like the um, getting more hands on knowledge and especially like getting started with a whole um, hardware thing. So as we talked in the beginning, like you came from a more, um, let's say, theoretical academia background. So I would love to know a bit more about like how you you started more going into the, the hardware part and how what that was for you and um, maybe any takeaways from the start of that experience. Yeah, um, I think having been in grad school, you're, I think you're equipped with like the tools to really understand the base, the fundamental physics and the, or the fundamental science that goes behind something. Um, and then in academia, they're like very concerned with like making it the most perfect of perfect. And I'm a big advocate of like, don't let perfection be the enemy of good here. Um, so I think it was, I was able to understand the, the base chemistry, the base material science, right? Um, but then I also had this aerospace background and I had this background where I, I you know, I was building things. Um, and so I, I understood, you know, like how to quickly bring something new into something existing and iterate on that. Um, and I think that's the name of the game is like not getting lost in let's try to optimize it and make it the very best thing from the beginning, but rather like let's start with something and then let's it keep iterating it because designs are going to change and, and, and whatever. Um, and, and so I think I, I have that unique perspective where I, I spent a lot of time in grad school, really understanding the base material science, the base thermodynamics that make these concepts happen, but then also not losing sight of like, okay, how do we actually make that useful? Right? Like what is, what is something, what is the useful thing that I can get out of this? What's the mumba jumba science that, you know, I can write 10 papers on, but what's the actual core useful concept that I can take and actually implement? 
Yeah, definitely. Like breaking things down. Like this is reminding me of like first principles, but first principles are like the best thing ever, yes. especially from like an engineering point of view, but just in yes. general as well. Yes. So like kind of on that note, I was wondering like what you would want somebody who hasn't started a startup, but would maybe want to think about it. Like, so like what is something that you learned about the process as you went through that would have been helpful to know before? Or like what kind of shocked you the most? Like what was the most unexpected thing to happen? Ooh, something, something I wish I had known. Oh, I think that I, I had so many, and I'll be frank with this. Like I had so many underdeveloped uh, skills kind of more on the business side. Cause I, I, I had never done business stuff, really never done anything. I didn't really know what it took. And like, I wish I had taken like an entrepreneurship class or, or something like that, just so I could know, like, what the hell, like, what the hell is a SAM? What the hell is a TAM? Like, what, what is that? How do you calculate that? What are, what are useful ways of actually doing this? Like when you do customer discovery, like, what are you, what are the questions to ask? You know, like, how do you actually extract useful information? Um, you know, that, that will relate back to your business. I think that's something that I, I wish I had the background of coming into this. And it's something that I very quickly had to learn. I had to understand, you know, like, how do you price things? Like, what are margins? Like, what, what, like, you know, things like that. Um, so I think I, I, I do, I, I think I, looking back, like, I wish I had done like a summer semester and like, you know, doing like a, a business program or something like that, just so I can know the basics. Cause I, I really came in as like a, your traditional engineer. Like I like, I like numbers. I like building things. Like what the hell is all this? Like, and so I had to come up to speed with that very quickly. And I think that's a core competency of, of founders that you need to have and you need to have baked in you. And then those need to, you know, really be guiding principles. Um, and then I think my, I think your second question was, what's my, been my favorite part of this? Yeah. Like the most, I suppose like unexpected, but I guess the business thing kind of ties into that, but like you can kind yeah. of expect that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I mean I did expect my skill set to grow coming into this. Like I, I knew like I was gonna push myself and I was gonna have to develop new skills, but I'm um I'm really shocked at like how much I've grown, like as 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 a person. Um because I, like again, I really came in as like your traditional engineer. Like I, you know, like I was not the type of person like to want to go out and be like, let's talk about these grandiose ideas. I'd be like, let's talk about this like really cool jet engine. Isn't that cool? Um, so I think for me, it, I, I've been, I've, I think I've, it's been surprising just to see how quickly my skill set has expanded um, and how much I actually enjoy things that I didn't think I would enjoy. Um, like I really like talking to potential customers and understanding things like that. Whereas like you asked me that in grad school, I'd be like, oh my God, that sounds like my worst nightmare. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to do that at all, but, um, yeah, having stumbled into entrepreneurship and stumbled into all these things and kind of been faced with this, I think, um, I've been surprised at like, I found new things and I found new strengths of mine, you know, uh, uh, uh and, and found like new passions that I, I wouldn't have had I gone like the traditional engineering route. It's amazing, truly amazing to hear all about your growth and really interesting that, you know, you discovered some passions and some interests that you, you really would have thought the opposite of a few years back. So that's amazing. Um, I was wondering if you have any tips or advice for exactly the 
learning skills fast aspect you were you were talking about finances uh but i feel like that um certain skills could apply to everything basically so yeah. do you have any input on how to to learn uh things mm -hmm. and concepts fast get in there and do it i think get <laughs> Good in there point. get get your hands dirty understand that you may be terrible at it to begin with But understand that it's like a learning curve and don't beat yourself up over it. If you have like a super awkward conversation with a customer and been like, oops, I kind of, that was weird. Um, but understand that it's like, okay, what can I, like, what can I improve looking back on that? You know, like, I, I think if you never fail, you never try. Um, and failure is just like the step before success, right? Like you, you just really have to get in there, be bad at something recognize why you're bad at something and then go from there because if you never try it you'll never realize oh okay I'm bad at this or I wish I could improve on this because you never put yourself in the situation where that's actually tested yeah definitely and I think like so it's like getting out of your comfort zone is like apparently the fastest way to learn but it's also yeah. one of the hardest yeah, but I think like <laughs> was that, like with that though one of the most important things that you brought up was like you have to identify why you failed at that thing because yeah. to just like say I failed is not very helpful but to like do like a root cause analysis and be like okay I failed because this yeah. is like so much more helpful yeah failure failure is not an end state it never is and I think I think viewing it in that way is a missed opportunity to view it rather as a, a potential for growth and so yeah definitely definitely So I was I was wondering, like, what advice would you give to someone who wants to be like be a part of or start a deep tech company? Because I know like quite a few people who this is like interesting for myself included, but especially in like hardware, I feel like there's a bit of, like there's a bit of a higher barrier to entry. So like what would you give what would you tell someone who wants to start that? And like you can give it specific to energy or like more in general, whatever makes more sense. Mm. Um, I think when it comes to hard tech specifically. I think there is a core competency that you need to have in the, the base technology, um, whether that's from a first principles, whether it's having built something hands-on before, whether it's have worked in an industry that's um, similar to that. It's you really need to understand what it is you're building and, and how it works at like a core level. Cause I think that's been instrumental in how my ability to, uh, you know, like talk about how the technology could benefit, uh, you know, the energy world, for example. Um, but on top of that, I think it's like, like you said, the, the barrier to hard tech is a little bit different, is a little bit higher, but I think hard tech is critical. Like humans have always used physical tools. We, that's yeah. how we, we have always done it. Um, we love our tools. We love our computers. We love our hammers. Um, so I think, you know, just, just, I think it's just understand that the barrier, the barrier will be, will be a little bit higher. It will be a little bit harder. Those points of friction will be a little bit higher friction, say things will move a little bit slower at the start than you would like. Um, but understand that's, that's just hard tech. There are issues where like, sometimes things go crazy, prototype goes crazy. Everyone drops what they're doing and, and goes to, to work on every, you know, everyone's like hands-on on, on the, on the product to, to figure out and we're tinkering and figuring out what's going on. And I think that's part of the fun of hard tech too. Like you have a physical thing, like 
hard tech is very, very cool. It's very, very fun. You can show it off. You can do all these things. So I think it's ha- have the understanding that hard tech is going to be a little bit different. And compared to your software friends, you might not be able to iterate as fast as them. Um, you require a little bit more capital. You might require a little bit more people. Um, but your 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 technology can be incredibly compa- impactful. And on top of that, it's very cool to just like hold something up and be like, I built that. And so be proud of it. Be proud of it. Definitely 100%. It's like all those software kids, they keep shipping things like every week. I'm like, guys, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. kind, of, kind of along that line, I wanted to ask, like, what is your like biggest tip for actually moving fast? Because I feel like sometimes we can get in like that perfectionism mindset. And I know like you talked about that a bit, but like what else could we do to try to like keep up that high cadence that is especially necessary in like the startup world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, great question. Uh, again, I, I think perfection is often the enemy of good. And I'm a big advocate at the hardware scale to iterate your designs quickly, you know, design your things um, in a way where you can easily change one component out for another, or you can, you, you can change this gear ratio size pretty easily. Those are all things that are baked into to your, you know, core designs and things like that. And just, um, yeah, utilize your tools like 3D printing allows you to test things out very quickly, test geometries out, test designs out, um, design your tests where you can swap one component out for another and the same test rig will same will work for, for both components. Um, try to design things kind of with a larger picture in mind and then be aware that optimization, you can always optimize something, but iter- iteration is so key because you learn so much with your first prototypes like don't let your first design be the end all be all be just be aware that like you're gonna find an issue like that bolt that you chose it just sheared off that you didn't think about that redesign it right like you have to keep all these things in mind and so try to design things where you're able to easily change components out for others right I feel like I need a t-shirt with a quote that perfection is the enemy of good. I'm <laughs> I'm definitely doing something like that. I'll, I'll share it with you guys. Um, and I feel like that's a, a great way to start wrapping things up. So if there were three pieces of advice, three things that you'd like people to take away from this whole episode, from, from your experience, um, mm-hmm. what do you think these would be? Um, hardware is cool and hardware is necessary. Um, don't, don't, I know hardware is difficult, but it's a lot of fun too. And it's a little difficult to get the ball rolling there, but definitely do hardware. I'm a, the I'm hard a, things are always the best. Exactly. I'm a huge advocate for hardware. Um, number two, I think it's not something we talked about, but I think as, as girls, sometimes we feel like we have more to prove and we feel like that barrier to prove ourselves as engineers or, or as entrepreneurs is a little bit higher. So, you know, don't lose that conviction in yourself and understand that you have other girls that understand your issues. So, so interface with them and the, uh, as much as you can and, and get their input and advice. And it's, um, it's a problem, unfortunately, that we face. Um, uh, and number three is, um, take a step back to and take a step back every now and then and and you know reflect on where you are where you've come because I think it's very easy to get lost in like the craziness day to day but um take a step back and be like 
wow, and, and enjoy things as they come and understand that, again, failure is not an end state. It's just a state, you know, it, it's going to be the end if you decide it's the end, but it's a state at the end of the day and you can move from that as you want to. I love all of that. And I feel like next time I get myself into like a rut, I'm going to come back and replay that part because that was just like such a good reminder for everybody. So it's been so amazing talking to you today, Mia, but I wanted to ask like, if, if people want to find you, if they want to like learn more about you, where can they find you? Oh my God. Um, I'm uh, I, I don't even have a, tw- a Twitter or an X or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, Wow. I don't even have Facebook. <laughs> it's okay. It's the engineering life. It's all good. LinkedIn yeah, it is. Then. <laughs> you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Shoot me a message. Uh, I, I will probably get back to you. Uh, I will definitely get back to you. Uh, maybe not on the time scale that you want, but I, I will. <laughs> so you have to respect the hustle 100%. <laughs> I will drop your LinkedIn in the description for anybody who wants to reach out to you. But yeah, this has been so amazing. I really love talking with you because like I really resonate with a lot of what you're saying about like the hardware, especially. And then also like the really wanting to make an impact and not wanting to go into academia and wanting to go into like the heart of San Francisco and like make a startup that is like solving one of the biggest gaps in like the energy storage space. So thank you so much for your time. I really I like so much loved talking to you today. Yeah, thank you so much, Mia. Thank you so much. No, thank you guys.